Welcome to This Conscious Life with Emina and Paul Rushton. In this modern world, where we're relentlessly plugged in, yet increasingly disconnected, perpetually doing, yet so rarely just being, processing overwhelming amounts of information, yet still searching for the truth, it's time to come up for air. Here, within this community, we share stories, rituals and recipes for a beautifully humble but plentiful life, and we intersperse these with the pilgrimages we take to visit those who have taught us profoundly powerful things about humankind. By sharing our stories, we deepen our connections and remind ourselves of all that unites rather than divides us. From holistic wisdom to slow, sustainable lifestyles, spiritual nourishment to conscious parenting, this is your weekly Conscious Living Guide, here to inspire and illuminate, connect and nurture, just as nature intended. So I had the absolute pleasure of travelling down to Bath to meet Sebastian Pohl, who is he's one of the co-founders of Pucker. We, we know them for their teas more than anything. I was actually introduced to Pucker through their herbs. They produce wonderful Ayurvedic herbal supplements. And, you know, 10 years ago when I started to discover more about Ayurveda, there were very few brands available in the UK that produced Ayurvedic herbs that were efficacious and organic. And I I, I did import some from some wonderful companies in India, organic companies, but I had a little health food shop uh, near me which sold paka. So I would buy things like my Chawana Prash um, and Tulsi and um, Trifala and all of these brilliant Ayurvedic remedies, which um, I will talk about much more in a later episode. This episode with Sebastian really introduces us to the natural power and magic of herbs, how we can use them, how best to take them. Um, We talk a lot about herbs that are good for women. We spend quite a long time talking about the female cycle and the Ayurvedic herb Shatavari and its wonder and brilliance and a herb called Ashwagandha which is a brilliant adaptogen that helps us all with our stressful lives. We talk about his journey into herbalism too. He's incredibly knowledgeable. I, You can hear from my voice in this episode, I'm just giddy. I'm just so excited to... I, has, I spent the morning with him walking around, identifying all the herbs in his garden, smelling them, having them in tea, tasting them and I was in heaven and my voice um, my voice really reflects it when I get very excited and when I'm really enjoying just really really thrilled uh, by what I'm learning and the conversation I get to have um, my voice speeds up uh, and it's funny listening back to it because I can hear that excitability um, I've known Sebastian for a really long time. He just through Pucker and through meeting him over the years, but he also very kindly wrote the foreword to my first book. 
Um, he's a really, he's just a really wise guy, rooted in the earth, loves growing. To see his garden in spring, blooming, just filled. I came back so inspired. Um, there are many more herbs I want to add to our little patch of land, our little back garden. So I really hope that you get to take away some very practical advice on various various medical conditions, on various usages of these fascinating herbs. And um, yeah, just drink, you know what, make a cup of tea and drink the episode in with a nice cup of tea. I think that's the perfect way to enjoy it. <laughs> I'm here with Sebastian Pohl. I'm sat in a yurt in the middle of his incredible gardens where he has so many different herbs growing and we are just going to talk about Sebastian's story which every path of his life seems to be lined with herbs and flowers and plants. As a child was this something you knew? What was your path into this world? How did you enter this garden that you've created? Hi, Emily. Thanks for having me. Um, I wasn't actually particularly uh, beyond normal childish behaviour of wanting to climb trees and play around outside. I wasn't particularly uh, associated with herbs or herbalism. It was more when I was about 18 or so and started to experiment a bit more with what I was eating and how I could look after myself that I started going into various small shops in London and buying some herbs and experimenting that way. And yeah, I mean, it was also at a time I'd traveled to India, um, got inspired, touching at the edge, well, found out what the word Ayurveda was, I suppose. <laughs> and I'd met some Ayurvedic doctors and, you know, they'd helped me get better from the inevitable deli belly <laughs> yes. taking simple herbs like licorice and uh, amla and shatavari so uh it was you know it was through a multi-dimensional path really where some of it was through getting better from taking plants some of it was through experimenting on how i was cooking and using different spices and how it made me feel and some of it was just as i you know grew into adulthood just really falling in love with nature and her beauty and inspiration and after a while I worked out that I wanted to spend my life being a herbalist connecting people with plants really so it was like that. <laughs> a beautiful awakening to what you wanted to do did you did you immediately seek out study or did you apprentice what was your what was your path into herbalism? It was a bit staggered in a way so first of all I just started reading lots of books and exploring um like the Yoga of Herbs by David Frawley and Dr. Ladd. Yes, that was on my on my syllabus. Um, you know, buying Ayurvedic texts like Charaka Sangita, exploring that. You know, studying yoga at the same time. So it was, you know, it was a really opening time for me in my life when I was trying to find out how could I, you know, what did I want to do? How could I do something that would be interesting? How could I do something that would be of service and value to the world? And obviously, herbalism contains it all in a way. So I was very lucky to find that. So your books. And then I uh, studied on a few courses in India at the International Academy of Ayurveda. Then I 
apprentice is maybe too strong a word, but I spent quite a lot of time with some Ayurvedic doctors in their clinic, just watching and listening. And I did my degree in Hindi so I could understand some of it. And then I came back to the UK um, and studied at a few colleges. Uh, there was a distance learning course uh, in planetary herbalism set up by Michael and Leslie Tierra. Wow. In America, so they ran it out of California, but they'd come over here, and there were weekend uh, sessions in London that I'd go up to, and then I studied at the London College of Oriental Medicine to do Chinese medicine, and then I studied at the College of Ayurveda to do Ayurveda. So it was very eclectic and a bit mishmash. You know, there weren't any university degrees then or anything like that yeah. in herbalism, and I just had this love of the energetics of herbalism. So like Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, they teach you about the quality of plants. And yeah, really what they teach is the language of nature. They teach you how to observe what is going on in the environment around you, to give that some descriptors, and then to relate that back to yourself and your family and your society. So it teaches you whether something's, you know, hot or cold, like, you know, ginger versus cucumbers for example so you know depending on the weather and how you're feeling what to eat how much of it and when so anyways journey that I went on. <laughs> so after obviously feeling so naturally drawn towards it and you know the wonder of it and the the power of it and you know we sort of look at a plant in a pot and we might appreciate it for its physical beauty but we rarely think about its energetic attributes when you you know, you found yourself doing that and being drawn to that. And I and actually think most listeners now will obviously know you because of pucker and how, you know, pucker is everywhere and we see it everywhere and you've brought herbs into the consciousness in a way that was certainly not present before. But I don't think many people will realise that you still practice, that you still treat. Well, that was uh, the main reason for me becoming a herbalist was to practice and, yeah. and treat people. So when I was about 28 and I qualified and been practicing ever since in different levels of intensity depending on what's been going on and yeah that's been a great privilege you know it's a it's a very um, vulnerable and personal space when someone's coming to share their health problems and because of our medical system we've got today of course it's normally when people have tried many other options because of our wonderful and great free national health service and or free at the point of service should i say <laughs> and uh, so it's been a, a wonderful thing and it's just taught me how effective plants are for transforming people's health and helping them to live a more fulfilling life. And of course, lots of the formulas and blends that I got to use in my clinic then started to use in pucker because you've worked out a, a formula that works a, a broad range of, say, digestion or sleep or something like that. Yeah. So it was a good experimental laboratory as well as educational and healing for people well, completely and you know seeing the you evolve with your with your patients you know and, then, and maybe that they begin somewhere but then the life journey takes them somewhere else you probably get to see this beautiful span of, of life and particularly with women and their cycles and the different stages of life and and how that that can alter did you because so much with Pucker, I feel, is rooted in womanhood. And I know it's not exclusively for women at all. But did you find that, that perhaps more women were coming to see you than men? Because that was that part of what was driving you? Well, I think naturally uh, women tend to look after themselves more because of their unique health requirements with a monthly cycle, fertility, menopause. So 
there's a there's a greater need for being specific there in a way and and most people that practice complementary medicine or herbalism it's the predominant population is women and so that's been really valuable because you know despite some of the efforts of modern medicine I, you know I think we can safely say that women are overmedicalized from a young age and whilst a lot of that may be necessary in some instances there are many natural solutions that could be included earlier that would be more empowering for women to understand mm. when a young woman is going through her menarche and having her periods for the first time um you know like all times of transition it can be a bit challenging for the yes. body and the emotions and so there are lots and lots of herbs you can use to help that sort of immature bud if you like start to blossom more easily yeah, I think I think that's and I, I keep seeing that with what I do, actually, where if things are irregular, you know, and things can't be put in the calendar and ticked off at a certain time, there's a sense of some, something's amiss and something's there's a failing of some sort. But when we look all around us in nature, we can see that things are naturally irregular. They have their own rhythm. Yes. So, you know, putting a woman at a very young age onto the pill, for instance, and then she would have a chemical bleed. It's not her body's natural time to bleed. We're we're stymieing, you know, the natural evolution of that of that one's body. It doesn't really get to find its own way. So, what what what's your protocol there if a woman comes to you and her periods have been historically really quite irregular? Are there things? Are there sort of tonics and things that you would? you would guide her towards certainly you know you'd always try and look at what's the cause of it really and that's the benefit of having a one-to-one consultation with a practitioner because you can really see what's the root cause you know is it a deficiency is the a, a lack in some way of energy nutrition blood um is there an excess is there too much anxiety or contraction if you like yeah. um or is there any blockage or is there any stagnation anywhere of fluids or dampness but generally speaking, uh, if there is irregularity, you want to try and create a routine and a rhythm. Yes, and rhythm is the key, isn't it? Exactly. And so, I mean, I've edited teaches that to everybody, men and women, children, young, middle-aged, old. Uh, to create a rhythm and a routine in life is one of the most empowering things because it, it sets up a momentum. But specifically with irregular menstrual cycle, I mean, one of the famous herbs used in Ayurveda is called Shatavari. And it's a... Right, right. The difference from all through my teens, early 20s, and just expecting the mood swings, expecting the pain, the discomfort, just pushing that part of me away, really. It was just so inconvenient. Mm. You know, and actually getting to a point where you know, realising the acceptance of it. And once things regulate, once things are balanced... That the, the sensation is it couldn't couldn't be more different. Well, you know, you you want a sense of control when our health isn't working as we would like it to. It can feel it can feel potentially scary, particularly if there's pain and discomfort, and um, particularly when it's to do with the menstruation as well, because it I don't want to say taboo subjects too strong a word, but it is you know it's a it's it's, it's not, kept it's quiet not, in a way. Yeah, it's not. Absolutely. It's not, not totally open. Around. No, I mean, even with my mother, who's, you know, can, can talk to her about everything, but we didn't yeah. get into the, the, the depths of it. No. You know, it was always quite surface level. So I think, you know, helping a young woman uh, starting the menstrual cycle, uh, you normally you'd have a situation where someone's got some 
immature development. So you'd normally try and boost the body's energy, nutrition, hormone production. And Jatavari is one of those brilliant herbs that it is, it's really like a food in a way because it's a tonic for the uh, nervous system and the uh, reproductive system and the energy system. So it, it's got some compounds in it that look a little bit like estrogen. So it can help the body think it's got more. So it behaves in a way that's more uh, balanced. And is it classified as a phytoestrogen? It has got some phytoestrogens in it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's quite a broad word in a way, and it's a potentially charged word. <laughs> yes. uh, like, you know, all lentils are phytoestrogens, licorice is a phytoestrogen in some ways. But um, it is specifically used to build tissues and uh, is, is used um, through all stages of a woman's life. So it would be used to, as I said, help bring on the menarch, help with fertility and really builds the uh, lining of the uterus, helps um, with post-delivery with uh, milk production and the strength of the baby. And then it's useful in menopause as well because Chitavri is very juicy root and it's got lots of fluids in it and it's used to bring fluids into the body and to cool the body. So mm. if you think of menopause as yes. being hot and dry, not always, but generally speaking, then you would want to use things that are cooling and moistening. And I've also read that it's very helpful for women who've had hysterectomies because it helps the body will still produce a bit of its own estrogen and it helps to regulate and stabilise that as well. Exactly. So, you, you know, where you've had an essential part of your body removed that would, that would affect your hormone balance, then you can use nature to help supplement that. Yeah. So it's also a classic herb to use through younger days of fertility when when one's menstrual cycle might be irregular or it might be too short these are the, you know it's a great herb to include because of its ability to nourish the whole system mm. i was wondering with my daughters actually because they're six and nine and it can be recommended if, if they have a fever you know if they're sort of struggling on it has great immune benefits too just because it tonifies the body would you how when would you recommend you'd introduce it to, to girls to sort of help them pre-cycle, pre the beginning of, of their first first period? I would probably only give it to younger girls if if there was a, a sort of direct need in a way. I'd let their then start and come on. Um, I mean, it depends on the level of knowledge you've got. I mean, you know, you know a lot about herbs, and I do think Why? that I do think that you know. Mothers especially are the are the first doctors, if you like, mm-hmm. and you know you, you're there to care for your children and see what they need. So, I'd think of it more like if you're uh, or if any young girls are, would we say underdeveloped, so that their muscles perhaps haven't grown as strong, or they're not growing as tall or as quickly as you might mm-hmm. expect. Then Chitavri is a great tonic for that. Oh, as is ashwagandha. I mean, ashwagandha would probably be where I'd go initially, where I felt there was. Underdevelopment sounds a bit strong, but where you want to help tonify and strengthen. You know, there's a lot of demands on young kids these days with yes. school and work and, heaven forbid, social media under 10. You know, all of that. So, uh, of course, they're in their own world, aren't they, on that front? So, yeah, ashwagandha is where I'd go on tonifying. And then as soon as there is the start of the first bleed, then depending on if that's going okay or not, but if there's any pain or... or um, it's stuttering a bit and stagnant mm-hmm. at the beginning. Then I'd immediately go on to Shatavari, and you can take that as a um, a capsule. 
So you can start that out. Yeah, that's uh, I take your... I, I swap between your womankind and your holistic shatavri, actually. I do yeah. one month on each, just because I like variety. Great. Well, I think that's a good idea as well, because our, our womankind is more about regulating um, a pattern so that you can sort of clear blockages, clear stagnations, and our shatavri, holistic shatavri, is all about building and tonifying. Mm. Let's, we'll go back to Ashwagandha in a minute, but um, I think lots of people listening will know how much I talk about Shatavri. It's just, it really has become a, almost like a foundational tool mm. for me with balancing my cycle. What's in womankind? What's the difference? And could you talk about the herbs that you've, that you've put, brought together there? Yes. It's a collection of different herbs that work on different parts of a, a woman's uh, reproductive and fertility cycle. So shatavri is the main herb in there, and uh, that's coupled with uh, some turmeric, and turmeric specific for invigorating blood flow. So if you think of your time before your period and the the womb lining is building up with with the blood, that can sometimes lead to um, stagnation, uh, blood clots, pain spasming and turmeric is specifically brilliant at entering the microvascular system and in and causing circulation to flow more freely through the uterus so if there's ever clots in the in the blood or if there's pain then i always go to turmeric and so that's why that's in 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 womankind and turmeric actually inhibits a a part of our metabolic system called a substance p which is what blocks pain signals in the body so oh, it helps to block that signal okay. um and then what else is in there there is a, a mother kind which is sorry mother wart uh which is leonaris cardiaca and that's particularly good for helping um uh, the menstrual flow to start and you know it's got this word cardiaca in it the latin name is cardi- leonardo's cardiaca and that means it affects the heart and it's particularly useful where there's anxiety or palpitations or nervousness around whether you're going to have a painful period or whether there is painful period so that's particularly used for that and you would begin taking it a couple of weeks before you would ordinarily menstruate or you just take it through the month when i take it through the month. i would take it through the month you know if you've got dysmenorrhea painful cycle or it's erratic i would use it you know every day for three months to try and get that routine going mm. as soon as you've got your routine going then maybe do what you're doing which is go to alternate holistic shatavari uh, and, and then the womankind it slightly depends on where you're at but that would be the basic form yeah i mean i do take breaks as well and i think i'm someone who does not like to swallow a pill every day and i, I certainly go through phases but again it it needs to be quite an intuitive thing, I think. Um, what I want to, what I want to really clarify here, I've I've been involved in lots of debates recently with regards supplements, and you just they're all put into one bracket, you know, whether they're synthetic, whether they've been mass produced in a laboratory with tons of heat energy, and you know, on an enormous scale, or whether or not they've been harvested and they're kept in their you know their freshest purest state, um, and whether they're full spectrum as well. Can we drill down on supplements and how they are absolutely not all created equally and what it is you need to be really seeking out, looking for if you pick up a jar, you know, what are the words you should be looking for and where should you be investing your money ultimately you know, into your health? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a complex arena out there, isn't it? With lots of names and standards it's and criteria. Not, and I work in it, and yeah. it's, you know, it's often confounding. Basically, the things to look out for are that it's organic, because that way you know it's been grown in a way that is protecting our environment, promoting biodiversity. There won't be any uh, chemical sprays used on that crop. Also, the reason for it being recommended as organic is that when plants grow in their natural environment they have to protect themselves against microbes um, invading pests protect themselves from solar radiation as they protect themselves naturally uh, they develop compounds in them that help us then protect ourselves from say microbes inflammation etc and that would be the first thing i'd look out for i would also look out to make sure that people say what the extract is extracted in the extract mm-hmm. industry is largely using methanol or hexane which are non-biodegradable um, solvents mm. and you want to make sure that your the solvents you use are good for the environment safe for the people working in that uh, industry and then safe for you if you take them which is why in our holistic extract that we make at Pucker, the, our holistic extract is made with carbon dioxide uh, extract. So under pressure, when you put carbon dioxide under pressure, yeah, it pulls out the, the fatty and oil-soluble compounds. And we otherwise use alcohol, which you can use, and you can uh, evaporate that, okay. or you can use water. So you need, you need a solvent to make an extract but so you can get this, a concentrate. This is not commonly used on a label. So, you know, I'm just pausing because you'll all be able to hear the the bee that's flown in. We're recording this in a yurt in the middle of Sebastian's incredible garden and he keeps bees. It's nice and warm in here. They come we in are a in a bit. garden and everything you hear is is because of where we are and I wouldn't change it for a while, but just to draw attention to the fact there is a, a rather beautiful bee flying around us at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so you, but would you, could you go to the manufacturer and say, what's your extraction process? You'd expect them to be able to answer that in a straightforward way. Oh, manner, absolutely. You'd expect the people to know what they're using. So you want to know the right species. You want to make sure they're testing that. You want to know where it comes from. So you want to know their source. You want to know that they're checking for contaminants because, unfortunately, our environment is terribly polluted. So you've got to make sure. And you want to make sure they're checking for the marker compounds or the active ingredients. So you'd expect to see some level of um, essential oils mentioned or something like that. But when you're seeing something saying 95% X, yeah. say curcumin, you can rest your bottom dollar that that is an isolate and that's basically a drug because nature doesn't produce stuff at 95%. It produces stuff at normally small percentages. Yes. And whilst there is a case for some concentration of these compounds, say curcumin, for example, that we know is highly active, uh, the, the point about whole spectrum is ensuring that you're representing what nature has made naturally because there are many checks and balances in the compounds in plants. So you know, most plants have got you know a couple of hundred compounds plus in them. So in uh, in turmeric, there's over two hundred. That's uh, producing one single. You're just extracting one isolate out of it. And then just synthetically reproducing it. In some cases, it may be synthetic, or it may just be concentrated naturally. But it would have been concentrated with uh, chemical solvents normally to get to that strength. Oh, good lord! So it is complex. And then if you want to 
I mean, really move on to it. You know, most vitamins that are sold are mass-produced synthetic yes. um, extracts. Or, for example, most vitamin C today is made from genetically modified corn syrup. And then through a fermentation process, it turns into vitamin C. Yeah. You know, that might not in of itself be bad, but as customers wanting to seek a natural life that's got low impact on the environment, you want to make sure that you're buying an organic vitamin C or, or a naturally sourced vitamin. And, then, and there are you know, good companies making that. And you should be able to get that good advice at a local health food store. Yes. And you know, online there's a fair spread of information these days. I think, you know, the, the trouble with us so often is that we, we want everything to be supersized, you know, so we think the more concentrated or the higher than, you know, the, the milligramage or the, when we look at RDAs, we think bigger is better. Could you perhaps touch on bioavailability and how that really differs, you know, given the way that a, a natural, you know, wild organic herb would be used as opposed to something which is, you know, just produced in a lab? I mean, bioavailability is obviously a crucial area of what do we absorb. And actually, with herbs generally, it is we don't actually know how some of these things work in, in their purest form because they, they may not be absorbed, lots of the plant compounds, but they may still be having a very beneficial effect through the transformation on various receptors in our digestive system or on the flora, the microbiome in our digestive system. Because of how we've evolved, we know we're used to having small amounts of these uh, concentrated, strong-tasting compounds that would have fed our uh, digestive flora. And so foods or herbs like shatavari, turmeric, ginger, they're all feeding our, our um, microbiome and helping us absorb uh, the compounds in there. But we can't necessarily break it down and understand it because it's it's just completely integrated it's a completely holistic response there are some there are some species that we know lots about how they're absorbed and what their impact is but other others less so okay. and there isn't a general rule but often the spices in ayurveda we talk about agni and the digestive fire so a lot if you look at a lot of traditional formulas a, a fair percentage sort of five to ten percent of each formula has got some digestive herbs in there that they actually work by irritating your digestive tract a little bit mm. and causing blood to flow there opening up some of the vanilloid receptors or some of the uh, absorption areas and and then the, the nutrients go in that way. So, you know, Ayurveda always goes back to the basics. That's what's so wonderful about it. But whatever your problem per se, you always look at your digestive fire first. And yes. in a way, day to day, we don't need to understand so much of the science behind it, but we, we need to know that we're eating enough of those spices in our diet to stimulate our digestive fire, to warm and invigorate our circulation. You know, warmth is life. Yeah. So we want to make sure we have that, which is why in our um, most of our formulas at Pucker, I've included some, some ginger and some other nutrients to help absorb the herbs. Amazing. We touched on ashwagandha, and I... I've seen this is really mushrooming now. <laughs> the ashwagandha awareness yeah, yeah. in the market. My my instinct initially is to get a bit worried, uh, to get worried about uh, you know about whether we'll start over farming it. Whether mm. we'll you know we'll sort of tax the soil, or, or if it's indigenous, if we're putting pressure on that part of the world. I have no doubt as to its efficacy and its you know incredible benefits. Would you guide us through it? There's no doubt that as we start using herbs and getting more interested in being empowered about looking after ourselves, 
that we're putting pressure on natural resources. There's absolutely no doubt. And 25% of all the herbs we use today come out of the wild yeah. by volume. Millions and millions of kilos harvested by communities living on the edge of society, yeah. climbing up trees, going up mountains, uh, which is why at Pucka, any of the herbs that we, we buy in large volumes from, that come from the wild, we use the certification from Fair Wild, which is the coolest certification and set up by WWF and Traffic to make sure that the people that harvest are paid fairly and that the resource you're taking is harvested sustainably. Yes. So we've got quite a few projects on that front now. With regard to ashwagandha, that is actually normally cultivated. And okay. the only thing that I'd particularly be concerned about with ashwagandha in terms of sustainability and availability is regarding it being organic. Largely because organic offers you a third-party certification system. So we have in Pucca, we have um, certification companies, soil association, auditing experts visit the projects to make sure that there, you know, no chemicals are used, that the yes. soil is looked after, etc. The certification can be incredibly costly as well. So what if you're a small, or, you know, you are farming organically to all extents and purposes, but you can't afford the certification. How does that farmer figure? <laughs> well, in our system, we would have like a main partner and they would support that certification cost, basically, for a small farmer. Okay. But really, it's just because of our crazy system. I mean, where the pucker, we have to tax ourselves to be organic. We are paying to look after our environment and provide our customers with healthy, non-polluted food. But we live in a world where the fossil fuel industry is subsidized enormously, and that that that. that switch hasn't been made yet but it, it will be made when we get to a point when the polluter pays for their pollution because that will level the cost of food and we'll we will the then we will then shift so you know yeah. two of the most important things people can do to help the shift is to buy organic food we we need to buy food that is looking after biodiversity that is looking after soil health yes. and looking after our health to be more nutritious and get renewable energy they're two of the simplest yeah. things we can do as consumers today and of course back to ashwagandha you know it represents what we need as a society today doesn't it Maybe because that's it's, why it's so it's so popular loudly in our consciousness right now yeah because it you know it helps us uh, become stronger and more resistant so you get more energy and you get more tolerance and it's it's got this amazing ability to help us adapt to fluctuations in uh, stress hormones uh, immunological situations and our whole neurological system gets uh, upregulated, if you like, and strengthened. So, Can it's you talk about the adaptogenics. Uh, sort of, obviously, there are lots of herbs that have adaptogenic qualities and properties, and it's become a bit of a buzzword again. And is it as simple as sort of you take it and then the benefits kick in? Is it something that you take, you you, you build up your body's natural? resistance to stress and then you sort of take a break is it something that's quite quite direct or is it a bit more subtle than that well some some adaptogens can be pretty direct and instantaneous uh, something like red ginseng for example yeah. you can take a lot of people will feel a stimulant buzz from that quite quickly um some are a bit more should we say slow burning and, and better for endurance and so something like ashwagandha i'd say um, although people can feel an immediate effect with how it helps them calm their nervous system and feel more grounded, that enduring energy takes a while to build up. But adaptogens you should take over a long period of time, really. That is mm -hmm. their nature. Um, and 
you, an adaptogen is, is there to help normalize fluctuations. So in our erratic, challenging world, they, they help you c- create a more balanced, uh, steady life. So ashwagandha, his Latin name is Vivania somnifera. The somnifera means it's somniferous. Yeah. So it helps you have a, a deep and enduring sleep. Whilst it's not a sedative in the sense that valerian or something like that might be, um, that will directly make you go to sleep in a sense. Uh, ashwagandha just, just helps you calm and helps yeah. you feel grounded and in you, in yourself. And there's amazing studies. Um, I mean, the hundreds of papers have been written on ashwagandha now. And Apaka have done a whole load of studies showing how our holistic ashwagandha is really able to help you endure more stress. So you measure something called heat shock proteins. And that's like if you put your hand in some hot water, it releases this message into your into your uh, neurological system. And we've shown that by taking ashwagandha, it, it helps you mitigate that shock, basically. And that's not just from heat, it's cold. And I can't imagine anyone I know not needing it, you know? We've run pucker on ashwagandha. <laughs> and uh, that's the reason it's becoming so popular, because it, you know, the science takes a little while to trickle down. Tradition's been there forever, so, or not forever, but for the last few thousand years. The last... 30 or so years, there's been some serious science carried out on herbalism. Now we're seeing about 600 papers a year, peer-reviewed, serious scientific papers on herbalism, which has gone up incrementally over the last 30 years. And turmeric and ashwagandha really come out near the top of some of those herbs Mm -hmm. that show they've got a real social need, really. And as we see the levels of depression, emotional anxiety, uh, you're mentioning the young women as they start their menstrual cycles are totally seen an increase in young teenage uh, women in my in my clinic suffering from anxiety and the pressures of the world so ashwagandha be the first port of call mm, no amazing and a bit sort of you know these are powerful herbs and i what i love doing is sort of counterbalancing what grows quite quite far away from us and which was never indigenous and things that we are learning about and her- I built we believe that hands are herbs are for humankind you know all of us wherever we are they're a gift and they should be shared but what might be what might be rearing its head and sort of growing up around us on our footpaths and in our back gardens things that we might actually be missing I mean of course we've got an incredible plethora of plants in the UK you know, there's 400,000 species of plants in the world and about 30,000 of them are medicinal. Wow. In your average sort of national usage, you'd have a, a few hundred in a way. And one of the reasons we've gone to China and India for tonics is we don't seem to have such super strong tonics in Europe for some reason with, with that knowledge of, of that traditional use. Um, but herbs that you can find every day are, uh, are just all around. Uh, some of my favorites would be, I mean, things you can grow at home, of course, are easy. I mean, like rosemary, you know, just drinking a cup of rosemary mm-hmm. tea. And that's brilliant for, for memory, for circulation, for warmth. It's like invigorating and uplifting. It's a bit like Tulsi in that way, actually, yeah. holy basil. But it, it lifts your spirits and your mood. I always carry a bottle of a rosemary essential oil in my pocket so mm. that you can just refresh your memory and wake you up. And then, you know, at this time of year, some of the, the, the great herbs that are out are um, nettles, of course, are bursting up at the moment. And they're yeah, I've been talking about those a lot, actually. simple to go and pick as long as you've got some gloves on or a <laughs> pair of scissors. And they're used as a real spring nutritive tonic. Mm-hmm. And you can put them in 
your soup or make tea from them. Yeah, we could make them, um, um, pesto as well. Yeah, delicious. Yeah. Absolutely delicious. Well, another edible that's easy to pick actually is uh, dandelion leaves at this time of year. And, you know, you can see the yellow flowers everywhere. I mean, you can pick the flowers and use, you can dry them and use them in teas at home. Um, the, the leaf is quite bitter, actually. So you normally don't want to use too much. But it's seen in Ayurveda when the yellow flowers come out. You, the yellow is associated with your liver and pitta. And after a winter of feasting on apple pie and all sorts of rich <laughs> stews, it's seen that you would at this time of year take some bitter herbs, green herbs that would help flush your liver. Mm. And so, and we've always down, down known that historically, that sort of the, the the bitters, like the bitter flavour, we've, we've always associated that with building an appetite, you know, yeah. getting the gastric juices flowing. Yes. Isn't we always knew that. Yes, but we sort of lose those connections. Yeah, well, as we've you know we've hybridised our food to have less bitter compounds in it, so they mm. taste milder. So going out and doing a little bit of local foraging where you can get access to some clean, clean herbs is always a good idea. I mean, another really nice herb to grow actually at home, uh, which you can grow in pots, is marigold. So calendula officinalis. And that's particularly got use for women's health as well and is called an amenagogue. So herbs and amenagogues help the uh, start of a period or they increase blood flow often through the uterus. And so the beautiful golden flowers, you can pick them and dry them. And we use them in our love tea, actually, because it's got that oh, ability to um, yeah, increase flow through your heart. Oh, beautiful. So we've talked about teas. We've talked about capsules. How do we, how do we choose the right method of delivery, depending on our need? I mean, there are lots of options. Yes. I mean... Really, you would just use what's the easiest form for you, you know. So where they taste good, I'd recommend drinking as a cup of tea yeah. because it's a very simple way to um, have a nice experience. It's one of the good moments in the day and lots of compounds are water-soluble. So a lot of the good-tasting teas like um, fennel, aniseed, peppermint, licorice, you know, they're, they're really quite water-soluble, the compounds in there. And so that's a, that's a really great way. And also through taking herbal teas, you're going to double or quadruple the diversity in your diet. So if you drink three cups of herbal tea a day and they're pucker herbs, you're definitely <laughs> going to get 10 to 15, 20 extra herbs in your diet. Sure, a small it's, dose. No, but that's so it. You want small doses. It's a you little, don't want yes. crazy Exactly, you don't need that. Yeah. Um, some herbs don't taste so good. And so you're probably, in order to get a proper therapeutic dose, then you want to have them as a, a pill or a capsule. Um, so like ashwagandha, for example, it's not a bad taste. My husband actually uses the powder. You can do that as well. It, so he adds it so just hot water and has it as a tea. You I can do that. It, I do find it quite astringent. Yeah, it is. It's, it's got a bit of bitter and astringency yeah. in it. Um, but something like shatavari that you can have as a capsule, or, you know, our holistic shatavari is a, is a concentrate and also the whole herb. But if you, you, you know, it tastes quite fine, so you can sprinkle that on your food That's as well. That's a, tea as well, it is it? a woman kind of tea as well, and that, that tastes uh, sweet and, and perfectly fine. So it's really about the rule in Ayurveda is who is having how much of what and when. And so, you know, if you are ill or trying to treat something, then you might want to go to a higher therapeutic dose, which is more in the capsule range, or um, larger doses of smoothies, for example, our clean greens or vitalize we have concentrates of food in there so that's more teaspoons or tablespoon levels of, of dose you need where they're more at that food end 
so um, you really need to be quite depleted to be to be going because you know my I always believe soft and gently. Yeah, so start slow. Start slow. But most things, particularly when it's home use. You know, if you've been guided by a herbalist, they can check that dose for you. But if yeah. you're experimenting yourself, yeah, for sure, always start small and um, go with what you feel you can digest well. You know, you're your best doctor, I think. Yeah. Um, once we've grown up and our, our mums and dads aren't our first doctor, if you like, then, you know, it's our responsibility to to observe what's going on in our in our system. Um, so like that. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sebastian. I, I'm actually astonished that we've been talking for almost an hour wow and i feel this is part one (laughs) i I hope it will be part one of many more to come thank you so much for your time great lovely to speak with you thank Thank you. you to listen to more episodes subscribe at itunes and to learn more about living a more conscious life visit us at thisconsciouslife.co Thank you for listening.